You have reached a phone call from Paul. Prepare to be entertained and moved. A chat with Ben Lerner, part two. And you know, being right. now, have you been to Greece? I've never been to Greece. Oh, Ben. That's, I, I ben, know, it's crazy. Ben, ben, no, well, it's crazy. It's The world is big and you have a lot on your mind. And not only on your mind, you have a lot of life around you. But, you know, I arrived in Hydra and um, took a walk for five hours to try and find a lighthouse, which I never found. I have an obsession with lighthouses. Mm. I'd like to someday live in a lighthouse. I don't know where that comes from. Maybe from a, a passage in the movie Diva where he's in a lighthouse. I, I, I can't recall. <laughs> but the next day, what I did is I spent two or three or maybe four hours looking for Leonard Cohen's home. Because Leonard Cohen... He's still there? He is not there, and he hasn't been there for maybe a decade. Maybe he's been there since then, but his part of his family is there from time to time. He's not there. I think many of the people he loved are no longer there, either dead or gone. Uh, uh, but And the house, uh, the person at the hotel told me it's a very simple house by the four corners. There's a gray door. I think now I could do a book of photog photographs of gray doors because I took so many photos of gray doors, but but it wasn't his. And finally, I found the four corners where there's a, 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 a little market where he used to shop. And the woman said, ah, Leo, Leo. And I finally found the house. And I found somebody working right next to, to the house. And I sat there and had bought a tomato and some uh, and some uh, feta cheese and a beer and just and some bread and just ate near his home thinking you know this is a man who 25 or 30 years ago was here and somehow a certain form of Greece inspired him yeah. a certain form of being there it is so beautiful it is so extraordinary one feels something uh, one certainly feels a pull of the past of something happening. I can't you, describe what it was. I imagine it's. I imagine it's amazing. But the, you know, the question is: Do you have access to the past through, you know, letting ruins be ruins, or do you have access to the past through reconstruction? You know, and that's the. And you where, know, like and where the pilgrimage? Yeah. What do you want right, to take exactly. into? Well, I'm just that, you know, you think of that famous, the Rilke poem, the archaic torso of Apollo. Yes. He has the, you know, the big you must, moment. You must change it. your life. You must change your life. It's like, you know, it's the, it's the, the felt absence. It's the sense of fragmentation, you know, that leads him to that in part. It's hard to imagine that poem being inspired by a, a vivid, freshly looking, you know, freshly painted sculpture. You know, I, have you read, um, the Krasnohorka novels that this well, you Hungarian know, I, guy. I, I have not, and you know he will be in New York soon. Um, yeah, he, he will actually be a, a fellow at the Kalman Center here oh, in I New York. You, and, and I hope to interview him. Well, I hope to interview him, and I he certainly will give a lunch at some point, yeah. and I will let you know when it is. And if you don't have uh, familial uh, f family obligations, maybe on some Wednesday afternoon you can come and hear him. I have not read him, but it's. 
so funny because I met a, a journalist in, in Greece now. I was there for the Onassis Foundation. And a journalist in Greece said to me, have you read his books? And I, I, I wouldn't dare pronounce his name again. Yeah, I have um, no idea. But, but uh, no, I haven't. And, and tell he, me, what should I read? Well, I, not only can I not pronounce his name, I don't even know how to pronounce the title of my favorite book because it has a, a Japanese word in it, S-E-I-B-O. I don't know if it's Saibo. It's called Saibo or however you say that yeah. word, there, there below. New Directions. New Directions. I know uh, Barbara, yeah. Barbara Epler keeps telling me, you know, you must talk to him. He's so great. Well, I've never seen him talk or, or, or met him, but his books are great. And this scene, there's this scene and and the new one with this person whose dream has been to go to the Acropolis and does go, I, I think, as an older man kind of associated with the, the novel, with the narrator. And, um, he kind of can't see the Acropolis. I mean, he's there, but he kind of keeps failing to experience it because it's too bright and he hasn't bought a hat and the sun is just making everything kind of blindingly white. And it's really hilarious, but also this kind of moving uh, thing about kind of how even when, you know, just about the difficulty of aesthetic experience. It's a too question much, that's too much presence. Too much presence, yeah. Too much presence, which is something that, you know, to, to, to circle back to you is, I would say, you know, page two of the Tatcha Station is the experience, uh, or at least the, the, the reading of what a lot of experience and True. a lot of presence does does it make and, you cry does it make you uh, does it make you move too much do you understand somebody else's experience by looking to me at that's the, the yeah, exactly to me that it's the fundamental that kind of anxiety about you know here i am am i really here is is to me the oldest it's like the fundamental question of the novel you know, like we talk, I you know, like in Stendhal and the, and the, when, when Fabrice or whatever his name is, is wandering around the Battle of Waterloo and he's kind of wondering, like, when, when do I, like, when do I know that I've participated in history? You know, like, when, when is, when, like, if I, how close do I need to be to the guns, um, to actually participate in history? And that idea in the novel, it's kind of like when, What's the value of my experience? How do I know when it crosses a certain threshold of authenticity? That to me is what the novel is so great at exploring because the novel is, can give you access to a consciousness and it's kind of distance from a social reality. You know, you're never, you're kind of all, so that, that to me is the great hunger, especially of first person narration. And I think that, Krasna Horkai, or however you say yeah. the Hungarian's name, is really, really great at it. But I, 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 I thought I will, it, I will, I will, I will definitely, definitely read him. You know, the, the, you you mentioned first person narrative. My 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 favorite Stendhal is not Le Rouge et Le Noir, is not La Chartreuse de Parme, but his autobiography, which is yeah. called La Vie de Henri Brulard, The Life of Henri right. Brulard, where he says in he says after listening listening to Il Matrimonio Segreto by Cimarosa, he's asked to to speak about it because he was in politics and was asked to speak about everything, and he responds in his in his memoir, he says, J'eus l'enfance de parler de mon bonheur. 
I had the childishness or the childhoodness to speak about my happiness. Yeah, that is lovely. It is just so powerful because how how do you, I mean, in, in a way he was saying, I think I was there, but I can't. I can't find words or express it. And, you know, it's, it's always been one of the things I've, I've disliked most about human beings is when they say to you, I know exactly what you feel. Yeah. Because yeah. the truth is, you know, you, you really, you really, really don't. Do you think that, I, I know you've been working recently with Thomas DeMann. Do you feel that, yeah. do you feel that photography in some way gets closer to some form of presence? Well, I think what's interesting about Thomas's photography is 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 the way that it makes you feel kind of presence and distance simultaneously. I mean, it's hard. so he does this weird thing, as you probably know, where he he works with a photograph, like he sees a photograph, and he reconstructs the scene or part of the scene in paper sculpture, and then he photographs that. And then he destroys the sculpture. So it's at this very strange remove from reality. It's a, it's a photograph of a sculpture of a photograph, uh, of a thing. And so what, what's interesting about it, I mean, there's all kinds of con- bizarre conceptual resonance depending on what it is that he's, you know, depicting. But what I think is really amazing about his work is that it's, you have this experience when you look at it, well, I don't know if you do, but I do, that, that you would once say, wow, that's incredibly realistic. Yeah, I, but, had that, but, I had that feeling, you know, when, 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 when you sent me the book, I had that yeah. feeling. But it's, but it's a bizarre feeling because you, 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 you know, the, the, the experience of something as lifelike is also an experience of a distance from reality. Like even, like you process even before you know what's going on that it's not quite right like that it's hyper real but there's but it's it's too abstract at the same time so that you get this weird undecidable mix of feelings about its its immediacy and its and its immediacy and that's how i tend to feel about photographs that they're both um, shot like even photographs that aren't demand photographs that you get hit simultaneously with the intense presence and the intense absence of the thing and and that looking over time at a photograph is kind of sorting sorting those emotions out you know like so with demand it's like oh that, that what a realistic cherry tree but i see that the petals are too blank you know like like so that that you you get the real and the unreal mixed up in a kind of instant and then you work your way your way back from it and I think that's true of, I mean, I think that's true of reading. You know, it's like with, with the books that I love the most are books where you both are aware you're reading and forget you're reading in that kind of like dreamlike way that you can both kind of be almost awake and kind of dreaming, going in and out of a dream. You know, I mean, you, but you never. They also feel, they feel, um, when you read something that you're deeply moved by, um, whatever that might mean, and of course we've just spoken about this whole notion of what it means to be deeply moved by anything, and whether it's a, a feeling that we, we're really experiencing or we're really experiencing the feeling of feeling what it might feel like to be deeply moved by something, we, I, I think one often can nearly stop reading because it's 
too much. I mean, I remember uh, Bart, uh, since, since everybody now is again speaking about Roland Bart, Bart said that when he l- reads something he really is moved by, he, he will stop and get up, uh, you know, and, and walk around and then come back to it. Or when he's really not moved by that, he really meant bored, he will just, <laughs> he will do the same thing. But he, yeah. but he won't come back. Um, you know, so it's 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 this notion of of what happens when we when we are when something happens in this moment of solitude of of reading, which which where where you 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 feel compelled in some way to 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 go on and to yeah. But I I like the idea that I mean I think that some of my favorite artists and writers. It's the experience. It's the experience when you look up where you register the power of the work. The same way that sometimes you look at, at, at something in a museum, and the power of it only kind of hits you when you've left the museum and are walking through the park and see the light and the leaves a different way or whatever. You know, like for me, like Ashbury. You know, it doesn't. The Ashbury, the Ashbury experience dissolves once you look up from the page. I don't kind of take anything with it, but a, a slight kind of quickening of the senses and a new attunement or whatever. And so I like the idea that that the mark of a of a great book sometimes that that you feel you feel that when you stop participating in the in the machine of the of the text. Do you feel you uh, do you feel you were quoting something when you said quickening of the senses? I'm I'm sure I'm I'm sure I'm always just a patchwork of quotations and we 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 share that it's a misquotations quotomania you know um, but I I think that at the end of the Renaissance Walter Pater when yeah. he says that all art aspires to the condition of music yeah I think he says. Um, that that the goal somehow is to arrive at the quickening of the senses. Yeah, and I think that's great. Although, although you know that I'm also interested in the opposite effect. <laughs> I'm interested in the you know I've been reading John Cage's diary that oh. this great press Siglio Press is it called what is it called? It's yeah, like something know. called like how to. It's called something like how to improve the world, and then in parentheticals it says you'll only make it worse. But there's this thing in Cage, which I, with a lot of artists I care about, where it's very hard to, you know, I like how you talked about Bart doing the same thing, except he doesn't necessarily go back when he feels profoundly moved or bored. I sometimes can't tell the difference. I mean, that like in Cage, you read and there's a kind of white noise element. I mean, he's, he's like, you know, there's all this kind of overheard stuff just being juxtaposed. That, that, that there's, there's, there is a kind of meditative point where being absorbed because of something's power and being hypnotized by a kind of monotony of surface can somehow become the same thing. Certainly that's true in Ashbury. I mean, in poems like flowchart where I feel like you can like you can read it all the way through but it's also like more of an environmental experience you kind of pass in and out of it I mean even when I've read it all the way through I don't really feel like I've read it I can't really remember you know how one thing leads to another really amazing uh, this this notion that what in the end matters is not not the precise memory of every bit of it yeah yeah, it's an affect. It, you know, I mean, I think it's there's just different ways of saying that it's 
it's it's the process of thinking and not the finished thought. You know, it's the affect of an experience and not a, a a portable content that you can remove from the experience of of literary form. Um, these days, yeah, I think now, that's kind of always the lesson. These days, now that you you're perhaps a little more at home than than sometimes, or more occupied with with um, an early life in in in, yeah. in your life do, do you are there things that you do more now that you would do on a regular basis less i'm thinking for instance you know reading reading the newspaper um uh, listening I to probably the try to look away from the news i don't talk on the phone i mean with the exception of this phone call I'm, i never talk on the phone because the phone is so magnetic for Lucia and because I don't, I'm like, you know, scared of the radiation and scared of her just addiction to the smart. So I try to, I try and fail to, I, I can't ever really talk on the phone. Um, so I'm I lucky, do that I'm lucky less. Then. You're lucky. I'm and, lucky. I'm the, lucky. Um, I also, you know, I love this form that we're having because it's, it's, um, it's old fashioned. It is old fashioned. Old fashioned. We don't, we don't yet, we don't talk anymore and hear the intonations. We, we constantly text or email and from time to time when we're very fortunate, uh, that is in New York, m m are able to carry through a plan. Right. To see each other. You know, it's, it's so hard and with our busy lives. Hard. But I was wondering, you know, um, the, the world as it as it exists now, and 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 the, the the you know we're bringing up children. Yours are younger than mine, but mine are still fairly young. The the world you're working on on ideas of conservation in works of art. You're trying to bring up children who will be strong and resilient, and yet the the world seems fragile. Oh yeah, beyond fragile. I mean, I yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I have anything interesting to say about the contradictions of, of trying to imagine a, a future when you both think so much of the world doesn't deserve one and in which futurity is so unevenly distributed and in which everything seems so fragile, except to say that I think that the... I don't know. I mean, I, every every available thing to say sounds like a cliche, but I do think that 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 whether or not um, I think that we have to imagine all different kinds of relations to the future and to the past. That that's both art and politics in a moment like this, and that there is just the the force of love and one kind of creativity that is having children, which feels like it puts you in touch with um with a kind of fundamental power and i, I you know i mean the, the power of humans to remake the world and then you're in a hurry to say like well of course we know what usually happens when people have kids which is that they just get all all the more in, invested in the preservation of their own stuff whether it's genetic material or the property or whatever so it's it's this swirl of vulnerability and usually it makes people you know, more conservative, and I just am trying to figure out how there could be other possibilities of feeling in the midst of it. And I'll, I'll say that there's a really great book right now by Maggie Nelson, who I think is one of the most interesting contemporary writers about. I'd love to talk to. I'd yeah, love, she should I, talk about, and it's, it's, it's got an appropriate the, title. The Agonauts. Uh, 
The Argonauts. Yeah, yeah I want I want to read that. I have not read that. I read her book on cruelty, which I found yeah. utterly outstanding. And you know, you've always given me great ideas of people I should speak to. Jameson being being one of them, and, yeah. and uh, Maggie Nelson being another, and 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 so many others. And I know you need to go, but just before letting you go to to the the great adventures that New York offers us all the time, or the pull. Um, you you're off to to Norway. I am. Um, I'm going. In, I'm going in Norway. The Paris Review is doing a a little a little festival or something well, there. Yeah, Lawrence Stein and the Paris Review are involved. Not, I don't. It's not. It's a little mysterious to me how it's organized. Although it seems remarkably efficiently organized. But yeah, it's a it's a small Norwegian and American literary conference in in Oslo. Um, when are and, you going? Uh, in a few days. What day is today? In, in a few Today's days. Friday. Yeah. I go on Wednesday. And and what I go on Wednesday? And what is it? There are these there are, there are these different conversations. There's uh, um, panels of some sort with Norwegian writers whose names I can't pronounce, and with some different Americans. I know Kristen Dombeck's going to be there. James Wood is going to be there. Uh, John Jeremiah Sullivan and and um. And some other writers. So I get to, I, it's, you know, it's like I get to have a bunch of conversations with interesting people and I, and I get to see the Viking ships and some other things. And I, oh, and Kanausgard, of course, will, will be there. I mean, will you, will you, you can't go to Norway without seeing yeah, Kanausgard. No. I wonder if Pierre Pettersen will be there. I hope so. I don't know. Because he's someone, you know, who I spoke to here at the library who I found uh, really interesting. And, and Knausgaard this year is a library lion. So he's, right. he's coming back in, in November um, for, for, for that award. But it, I, I think it, 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 I, I'll be very curious to, to hear what you, what you make of it. Is this your first trip there? It is. It is. I went to Sweden once as a child. But, uh, I mean, not to conflate Norway and Sweden, yeah. which is, I know, the thing that would most angry, but would anger make, people in Norway. Them, would make them very angry over there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I just mean, I've been, I've been, I've been nearby once a long yes. time ago. But no, this is my, this is my first time. Well, I hope it's going to be a, a, a really interesting, a really interesting trip. And, and, and Ben, thank you, thank you so much for, for speaking, for speaking with me. What do you think you'll read on the plane? Or will you just sleep? I have a little book by uh, a Norwegian writer whose name is Dog something. So it starts with an S. I don't know how to say it. I'm both forgetting how it's spelled and I don't know how to say it. It's a tiny book that Grey Wolf published called Shyness and Dignity, um, which is about a kind of teacher, a high school teacher in Norway having a nervous breakdown. I'm very um, partial to stories about teachers having nervous breakdowns but it looks like a beautiful little book um i'll i'll, I'll leave you on that notion of, of, <laughs> of teachers having nervous breakdowns and and hope that um uh, among the things you do in 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 norway you you just discover all kinds of new things you bring back here yeah, I hope to, and I hope to sleep without interruption. Yeah. Well, well, you know, uh, planes for me at this point in life uh, and the present condition have become wonderful little bubbles in which one can again sleep, uh, yeah. or at least try to. 
Yeah, I hope I hope to. No, I, well, I, thanks, Paul. It, it's been such a you. such a pleasure, and we'll we'll speak when you get back from Norway. And thank you for taking my call. Of course, thanks for calling. Bye bye. Yeah.